great worship today. Thank you guys so much. So let's, let's, let's thank them for worship leading. It was just excellent. Thank you all. <clears throat> Love it. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Again, welcome to you, all of you in the overflow. God bless you. Byron and Susie Lucas are out this morning with two sick babies, but Josh and Katie Graves leading in the back. Thank you all. We love you so much. All of you, open your Bibles together to Exodus chapter 34. In the middle now of a message series entitled Mountain Man, and we're just looking at lessons from the life of Moses. I know that a lot of the stories from Moses' life have been told and retold and told again. I'm really trying to focus in just these few messages on some of the moments in Moses' life that maybe you haven't looked at as closely or heard as many times, and this is one of those. It's, it's an amazing picture of, of Moses and his presence with God. It was Benjamin Franklin who once said, fish and house guests smell in three days. Okay. Fish, Benjamin Franklin says, fish and house guests smell in three days. What does that mean? Yeah, it, it almost doesn't matter who it is. There's just, there aren't a lot of people in the world that you want to be with for long. Eventually, you're going to need a break from them. And the idea is house guests can come and stay past their welcome. You understand? Fish and house guests smell in three days. Benjamin Franklin said three days was about anybody's limit. Is, is there anybody in your life that you feel like you could just be with forever? It's okay if you don't answer that. I understand the awkwardness there sitting by your spouse. Um, it's, it's amazing that, that in this passage... Moses is on the mountain with God for 40 days and nights. 40 days and nights. And during that time, he eats nothing. He doesn't even drink anything. 40 days and nights in God's presence. And it never gets old. It's an amazing picture, and that's not even the end of it. Read with me. Exodus chapter 34, verse 28 Pay close attention to what happens to Moses when he's in God's presence face to face. Exodus chapter 34, verse 28. Good stuff. Moses remained there on the mountain with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. In all that time, he ate no bread and drank no water. And the Lord wrote the terms of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, on the stone tablets. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over and he talked with them. Then all the people of Israel approached him, and Moses gave them all the instructions the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out again. Then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him, and the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of his face. So he would put the veil over his face until he returned to speak with the Lord. That's fascinating. That's, un that, that, that's amazing. There was a, 
study that came out recently from a German uh, university major study by a, a, a researcher whose name is Kathleen Vermke. And she is an expert in, in what they call pre-speech, pre-speech development, especially in infants and children. Uh, Dr. Vermke's study involved babies straight out of the womb, newborn babies, and she studied their cries. She studied the crying of newborn babies, and she found out something that I think is absolutely amazing and in some ways hilarious, and that is babies cry with an accent. In, in other words, the babies of French mothers, the moment they're born, their very first cries, Dr. Vermka would, would record those cries and digitize them and, and engraft them, and she would graph very carefully the inflections of the baby's crying. And the interesting thing is the inflections of a French baby's cry would, would almost be a mirror image of the inflections of her mother's voice. In other words, a French baby cries with a French accent. You know, kind of, le huin. I don't know. I, I, I don't know any French babies, but, but something like that. You know, le huin. Franziska, German babies cry with a German accent. That's what they found out. How would that even sound? Can you help us? <laughs> I have no idea. But, but yeah. French babies cry with a French accent. Isn't that amazing? In, in a lesser-known study from, from here locally, Logan County babies come out chewing tobacco. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's, it's amazing <laughs> what, what a baby absorbs, what a baby absorbs in, in his mother's belly for, for that period of time. The fact that that baby literally listens to the mother's voice and is born reflecting that, born reflecting somehow the likeness, the ways of the mother. That's just amazing to me, and and it really reminds me of this passage. You see, Moses is in the presence of God for 40 days and and 40 nights, and and, and in the process, in, in, in that time period of being in God's presence, Moses is changed. He's transformed. He begins to reflect the very glory of God. Now, according to the scripture, he didn't really, uh, wasn't aware of this. He, he wouldn't have been. He was simply in God's presence. This is the period of time when he's receiving the law, the Ten Commandments from God. And it took 40 days and 40 nights for him up on that mountain. And remember how nobody else wanted to go up on the mountain. Everyone else was truly afraid of God. The, the tremble of his voice, the, the, the literal lightning and fire and shaking of the ground. They were terrified to walk into that darkness where God was. But Moses plunged into that darkness where God was and came face to face with a living God. And he didn't walk out of that unchanged. That, that's the point of the scripture. In that period of time, when he finally emerged from the top of that mountain with those Ten Commandments, when he finally came back to the people, the Scripture says that his his face shone. It it, it was radiant. It was blinding. And at that point, the people are literally afraid of Moses, afraid to come near him. You understand? He looks radioactive. They have no idea what's happening. They're now terrified of Moses. But Moses calls them to him, and they gather. And as he stands there with that shining face, he begins to deliver to them the word of God. 
Okay, let's just stop and think about this. You, you all know me by now. I'm not preaching this as just a Bible story. Understand? This, this is not just your second grade Sunday school class. I preach this as God's word and it's something that literally happened. So we need to figure out why this happened and how this happened and how we should explain and understand this. Moses' face was transformed. It would shine to the point where later he had to wear a bag on his head. People, do you understand this? Face shone. What happened? What happened to Moses? Well, honestly, the the exciting part is is that it's something that isn't simply going to be something in Moses' life. Turn over to 1 John chapter 3. Open Bibles, turn, let's hear some pages flipping. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. I want you to see this because this is an event in your life. You understand? 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. If you know the Lord, this is an event in your life. 1 John, New Testament, chapter 3, verse 2. We're talking to believers, talking to Christians. Dear friends... We are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. Okay, what is the promise of scripture? That that one day Christ is going to return. Christ came the first time, born in Bethlehem, you know that story. but, But do not forget, Christ is coming again. And on that day, and we don't know what day it is, but on that day when Christ comes again, we're going to be caught up in the air to meet him. This is what scripture says. Now understand, this isn't just something we tell in church. This is a day in your future life, mine too. Christ is going to return. You're not going to know what day it's going to be. You're going to be in the middle of something that you expected to finish. Maybe breakfast. Maybe an episode of Law and Order. I don't know. But you're going to be in the middle of something that that you expected to finish, but it's going to be interrupted. Everything on planet Earth is going to stop forever, and we're going to be caught up in in the air to meet with the Lord. This is what the Scripture says. And, And in that moment when we see him, you with me? You're going to see him. This is an event in your life, not just something in the Bible. This is going to happen to you if you're a believer. You're going to come face to face with Christ face-to-face with the Lord, and in that moment, you will be transformed. In the twinkling of an eye, the scripture says, in an instant, you're going to be changed, totally changed, and you're going to become like him. Nobody's a little bit excited about that. You're going to be changed and become exactly like him because you're going to see him as he is. The, the, The principle or the bottom line, seeing God, coming face-to-face with God, that transforms you. His holiness is a burning fire, the scripture says. So there is no way to stare into the blazing beauty of God's holiness and not be changed by that, physically, spiritually transformed. This is not just something in the Bible. This is a day in your life that's coming. You you with me? When you behold the Lord, when you stare into the furnace of his holiness, everything impure, everything unholy about you melts away and you become transformed, holy as he is holy. This is a day in your future life. I love that. I, I, I love that. So to behold the Lord, to see the Lord, to be in his presence in this way, it transforms you. 
There's no way around this. You cannot be in God's presence. You cannot stare into the blazing furnace of his beauty and not be transformed. You understand? You can't. So, back on the mountain with Moses. Moses has been in God's presence for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, what Moses experiences on the mountain is is amazing and powerful and perhaps unlike anything that any other human being has ever experienced, that kind of direct contact, that, that direct presence of God. But even Moses did not see what we're going to see on this last day. Even what Moses experienced, it was partial. It was temporary. It was not what you and I will experience in that great and glorious moment when we stare into his face, face to face. You understand? So what Moses experiences is something partial, something temporary, but still something absolutely amazing. He is in the presence of the Lord, but beholding God's glory like no one else. And the glory of God transforms him. His face becomes radiant. It glows. It shines. It shines to the point where people are terrified and where from this point on, Moses wears a bag on his head. I don't have to make this stuff up. You understand? The scripture says he wears a veil. He literally covers his face because of this radiance. Okay, so next question. Why does he cover his face? Why does he throw a bag over his head? The first guess would be, well, because the people couldn't look at him, because they're afraid. It must be so blinding. It must be so bright. It must have something to do with the people not being able to stare into his face, but, but that's not it. That's not it. Pay attention to when this bag goes on and off. You with me? When does he put the bag on his head? When does he put the veil over his face? Basically, at any time when he's not either in the presence of God or preaching to the people. At all other moments of his life, he covers his face now. Interesting. He removes the veil when he goes before God, and he removes the veil when he talks to the people. So he's not covering his face so that people won't stare into his face. Uh, On the contrary, he removes the veil when he's talking to the people. The only time he covers his face is when he's not with God, or not preaching to the people. He wears a bag on his head, breakfast, lunch, and supper. Unless he's with God, or unless he's talking to the people. Why does he wear a veil? Honestly, to get the answer to that, you need to go to the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Flip over with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, when Paul is talking to the believers at the church in Corinth, he goes back to the story we just read, the whole part about Moses and the glory of his face and wearing the veil. Moses goes back to that when he is trying to teach a lesson in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So now, if you're with me, we're going to do a sermon in a sermon, all right? This is Paul's sermon, and he's talking about Moses and his face, but pay attention to how Paul explains the reason why Moses covers his face. Fascinating and important. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. This is good. 
The old way with laws etched in stone led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared to the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away, that the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Spirit, the Lord is Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Interesting. Paul says that, Moses wore a veil on his face for one reason, and it's probably not the reason you expected. Why did he cover his face? So that the people wouldn't see the glory? Not exactly. So that the people would not see what? That the glory faded every time. Moses would go into God's presence, and in that beauty of his presence, his face would be transformed. And he would come out, and he would preach to the people what he heard in God's presence, and his face would shine. But the problem is, the further out he got, the longer he was outside of God's presence, the, the shining faded, the, the glory faded. And Moses didn't want the people to see that. He covered his face in all those in-between times so that they would not see that his face had stopped shining. Now Paul says that, that that's important, that there's a lesson in that for us. Now I don't really know why Moses wouldn't want them to see the glory fade. Maybe he didn't want the people to lose confidence in him. Or maybe he didn't want the people to lose confidence in, 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 in the Lord or, or in his word. I don't know. But the point is that glory, it faded it faded. And Paul uses that, that image, that idea of Moses' veil, the, the glory that faded. He uses that to tell us some very important truths about salvation, about what Christ is doing in our lives now. So let's talk about that. Paul talks about the old way and the new way. The old way was the old way of Moses, the way of law, the way of the Old Testament, the old covenant, the way of the Jewish people. 
Now, for centuries and centuries, what we had from God as far as the plan of salvation was, was simply the law. It was the law. The Ten Commandments that, that God gave Moses, he wrote them with his very own finger on those stone tablets, and Moses brought those down with his shining face. Paul says that was the old way. It was an old way. But Paul says from the very beginning, from the very beginning, that old way had a glory about it. But that glory was temporary. It faded every time. Do you understand? It was temporary. And the point is that that old way, that that way of law, that was something temporary that God instituted for a very special purpose. But the purpose was not to save us. You cannot be saved. You cannot become right with God by simply knowing the law or even living by the law. Because of one simple reason, you can't. You can't. You can't live by the law. You cannot be such a good person that God, therefore, will allow you into the beauty of his presence. You can never be that good of person. You would have to be holy as God is holy. You would have to be perfect. And nobody's perfect except for Christ alone. Are you with me? Please spread the word. Because the world is absolutely filled with people that no, many, how, no matter how many times they hear this preaching, no matter how many times they hear about the gospel of grace, they somehow continue to think that salvation is just a matter of being a good person. I am not foolish enough to think that even some of you don't live under that delusion. That God is going to let you into heaven simply because you're a better person than most people. Simply because you're honest or simply because you try to be a good neighbor. There is a world of people dying and going to hell and completely deceived because they still believe, they honestly believe that God simply smiles on people who are good enough. There are no people good enough. God only smiles on one kind of person, and that is sinners, because that's the only kind of person that there is. We're all sinners. We all fall short. So God gave this law to Moses, but the law was never intended to save us. It was never intended to do something permanent or eternal in our lives because the law never had that power. You can have all the rules in the world, but the rules can't save you. Law can't save you. The law was given for one very important purpose, and that is simply that you could recognize that you need to be saved. It is the law. It, it is the rules. It, it, is, it is everything that the Bible teaches that basically first reminds you that you're not good enough, that you are a sinner, that you cannot live in such a way to earn God's favor. You can't do that. You'll never do that. You've already blown it. It, it is the law. It, it's an awareness of God's rules, God's holiness, that lets us know how profoundly broken we are, how, how deep our sin goes, and how desperately we need a Savior. The law points to Christ. The law points to our need for someone to come and do for us what we can never do for ourselves. You can never be righteous enough to earn your salvation. So Christ came and paid the penalty for your sin and gave you his righteousness. He took your guilt. He gave you his righteousness. It's an amazing exchange. We, we call that salvation. 
So Paul is using this image of the veil, that the way that the glory on Moses' face faded, and he, he compares that to everything to do with the old way, the, the old covenant, the old law. It had a glory to it, but it was temporary. It was partial. It faded. In order to prepare us for the glory that comes and never fades, the salvation that comes as an eternal gift that never, ever, never, ever expires, never passes away, never ends. This is the new way of the Spirit, the new way in Christ. You understand? Well, you may or may not. And that's Paul's next point. He's talking about Moses' veil now, and he sort of applies it in two ways. He says, now with the gospel, it's like there's still a veil. And first he says, it's like there's a veil over the, over the hearts of people who don't know Christ. It's like there's a veil. It's, it's like there's a bag over the heart of people who don't believe, and they just don't get it. They don't understand it. It's like something keeps them from really hearing and understanding what Christ is all about. Now, some of you in this house, that's exactly where you are. In the sound of my voice, if you're listening to this sermon, this might be where you are. You really don't understand. When, when church people talk, when you hear Christians talk, they just sound crazy to you. Earlier when I was talking about the Bible being something I truly believe and, and these things in the Bible being uh, events in my future life, that just sounds crazy to you. And this is what Paul says, that there's, that there's like a bag over your heart which keeps you from Hearing and understanding or, or, or believing. You ever talk to the people in the world? You ever experience this? They just don't get it. They, they, they truly don't get it. I, I, as of late, the whole, you don't know I'm not a sports person, but, but the whole thing between Tim Tebow and, and then Jason Collins. Tim Tebow, of course, is, is a very strong, very outspoken Christian man who happens to play football. Tim Tebow first sort of began to signal his faith by, by writing Bible verses, just like John 3, 16, in his eye black, or Philippians uh, 3. He, he would just write verses in, in the eye black, and, and you would see that on television, and people would begin to turn to Scripture, and you begin to realize that Tim Tebow is a man who's very serious about his faith. Now, if you know Christ as Tim Tebow knows Christ, then you get him automatically, and you probably admire him, whether, whether or not you think he's a good football player, you know he's a man of God, and you admire that. But the amazing thing is how the world doesn't seem to get him or understand him. They treat Tim Tebow like he's some sort of freak of nature. I mean, when Tim Tebow would, would, would take that pose and pray on the sidelines, people actually acted like he was doing something offensive, like he was mooning them out of his car window or something. Would you understand? That they acted like his, his prayer was offensive. Like that's something he should keep to himself. You understand how the world thinks and operates? It really doesn't understand Tim Tebow's devotion to Christ. And then Jason Collins, the basketball player, who recently came out as a homosexual. And instantly, he's a hero. Interesting. Now, what planet are we on? He's a hero. Somehow, who he has sex with, that's something that he ought to be telling everybody, and we need to all just appreciate him. I mean, that's public, but Tim Tebow needs to keep his faith private. Interesting, the world we live in. It's crazy. What planet is this? Well, it's Earth. 
And this is exactly what Paul says. The problem with a lot of church people is that we're dumb enough to think that the world's supposed to think like Christians, and they don't. They can't. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that the message of the cross is foolishness to those that don't believe. It's foolishness. I mean, so expect that. Expect the world to think like the world. Expect the world to act like the world. You understand? They don't know Christ. They're not going to understand. They're not going to get you. They're not going to ever believe that you spent this much time in church on a Sunday, on a rainy Sunday. The world doesn't understand that. Paul says it's like there's a veil, like there's a bag over their heart, and they just can't see. But they will see. They will see. Paul says that that veil is removed when someone turns to the Lord, verse 16. That veil's taken away. Have you experienced that? When you come to Christ, when you finally surrender and just give up and accept the salvation that comes from the Spirit in Jesus' name, when you experience that, it's like there's a veil that's removed from your eyes. Like there's a drape that's taken off of your heart and suddenly things that didn't used to make sense make sense now. I mean, you never could understand how people could read an ancient book and it be a living book to them. But, but once you know Christ, this is not a dead book. It's not just words on a page. These are words of life if you know Christ. When you open the pages of this book, it's not just reading like you might read a novel or the TV guide. When you open the words of this book, there is a living voice, a speaking voice that calls out to you. And that's the voice of Jesus. It's, it's a veil that's taken off of your heart. And suddenly you'll see what you never saw before. And you'll hear what you never heard before. And you will begin to understand the glory of God. But not until that veil is removed. Those that don't believe, it's like there's a veil over their heart that they can't see, they can't hear, they don't get it. They never will until they know Christ. But Paul says there's another way to think about this, another way. Verse 12, since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We're not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel wouldn't see the glory fading away. Do you understand? Paul says in, in, in the same way like Moses, it's like we have a veil too. Some Christians, it's like we also now, we have a veil and we wear that veil over our faces, over our lives. As if we're going to hide Christ from the world. And Paul says that's not how we're going to live. We're not going to live like Moses. We're not going to keep it covered because, because we're afraid of what the world will see when they see us. We don't want them to see that it fades. Paul says it never fades with us. We're not like Moses. We have boldness. This is what he says. We're talking about now the ordinary Christian life, not just special people, but, but you and me. We're supposed to live with a kind of boldness. In other words, because of our life in Christ, there is a glory about us. There should be a glory about us. When we're in God's presence, we are transformed day by day more like him. That's what the scripture says. And we need to let that shine. We need to make sure that there's nothing about our lives that prevents people from seeing Jesus in us. We should be bold and confident about it, Paul says. Not like Moses who wore a drape. You need to make sure that people see Jesus in you boldly, confidently. Let him see his glory in you. Let's be honest, that's hard, isn't it? That's really hard. 
when you're talking about a world who doesn't get it, a world that doesn't understand, and then you are supposed to be bold in talking to them when you know they're not really going to get it or they may not listen to you at all, that's, that's hard. That kind of boldness is hard to come by. heard a Christian comedian actually telling the story about his desire to, to share Christ with people, but his fear in doing that, really afraid, but, but wanted to do it. So one day he was on a city bus, it was totally empty, just him and the bus driver. And he said on the back seat, he prayed a prayer. He said, God, if you really want me to tell somebody about Jesus, give me a sign. Give me a sign. If you really want me to talk about Jesus, you give me a sign. About that time, the bus stopped, door opened, one man got on. He walked through an empty bus, came back, and sat on the same seat with, with this guy. Sat on his seat, looked at him, and said, do you know anything about Jesus? <laughs> so the fellow said that he looked at the man and said, excuse me just a minute. And he said he prayed another prayer. And he said, God, if you want me to tell this man about Jesus... I need another sign. I need another sign. Here's what he said. He said, turn the bus driver into an armadillo. That's what he said he prayed. What was that armadillo prayer about? About somehow never, ever having to tell this man about Jesus. Why are we like that? Have you ever prayed those armadillo prayers? Because I have. I can remember being a young man in church, just like some of you were in church this morning. I would sit in church, and I would feel that call of God on my life to preach. And it's the last thing in the world I felt like I really wanted to do. And I remember praying, and I really did, you guys. I, I, I once prayed in church, God, if you really want me to preach, and my pastor was preaching his heart at that moment. And I said, if you want me to preach, God, you let Brother Tony get under the communion table and finish the sermon from under the table. Yeah, I prayed that. I think more than once. Let him preach under the, if I'm supposed to preach, you let him get under the table and finish the sermon. And Brother Tony never got under the table. See, it's an armadillo prayer. He never got under the table, so what did I assume? I'm off the hook. Hey, when God wants me to preach, he will put the preacher under the table. I mean, he's God, right? He can do that, right? Wow. What is wrong with us? Stop praying those armadillo prayers. Stop asking for another sign, whether or not you're supposed to step out with boldness. The, the sign is in Scripture. It's a commandment. You're not supposed to be timid about these things. You're supposed to be sharing your faith. You're supposed to let that glory shine through you. You're, you're not like Moses. You're not wearing a veil somehow so that people really never know your heart, so that people really never see Christ in you. You're supposed to live an open, radiant life before them. You have to do this, and you need to do it with boldness, the real boldness. Now, it's not about being a jerk. Hear me. It's not about going to work and shoving Jesus down people's throats and just simply trying to get more people to come to your church. We're not talking about being some sort of Christian or spiritual jerks. We're not going to do that. It's not about that. It's not about trying to prove that you're right and the world is wrong. It's not about that. It's not about making yourself seem holier than other people. It's not about that. If that's your heart, then you don't know Christ, perhaps, because that's not what Christ is about. 
It's, it's about people. It's about a genuine love for, for people. The book of Proverbs says, one of, the, one of the truest verses in all of Scripture, Proverbs says, the way of the unfaithful is hard. Do you understand? Those who don't know Christ, those who live out in the world, it's hard. Sometimes you'll hear church people say, I just don't know anybody lives without Christ. I don't know how they make it without Christ. Well, if you can see that, why aren't you telling them about Christ? If you understand that the way of a non-believer must be very, very difficult, then why wouldn't you tell them about Christ so that they can find out what life is really about? The way of unbelievers is hard. They don't know Christ. They don't know forgiveness for their sins. They don't know peace. They don't know any kind of power that comes from the Lord. They just don't know. They don't see. But you see, don't you? You understand, don't you? Paul says there's no veil over our hearts and no veil over our face. That's why in this world we are out there both to see and to reflect the glory of God. That's what our lives are about, to see and reflect the glory of God in the world. You see, Moses went up on that mountain way back in his day. And in that brilliant presence of God, his face would shine. His face would shine, but it was only partial, and it was only temporary, and that glory would fade. And so he would cover his face before the people so that they would not see that faded glory. But Paul says that is not how we are in the world. The glory that we have in Christ is brighter and more lasting than what Moses had. So because of what Christ has done for us, you understand? Our lives are radiant. Our lives are to be glorious. And in this world, you have to let that shine. You have got to let his glory shine through you. Let it shine. Pray with me. Lord, we know that the path of the unfaithful is hard. We can't imagine what it would be to face death and not know where you're going to spend eternity. Lord, as believers, we really have forgotten what it would be to feel guilt and shame and have no absolutely no place to go and leave that guilt, walk away from it. Lord, as believers, we don't really remember what it is to be hopeless in life or or feel like we're without a future. As believers, Lord, we don't really know what it is to live and not know that we can pray and have our prayers heard and answered, Lord. We forget that the path of the unfaithful is hard So, Lord, help us to understand that what we know, the the glory that we have seen in in Christ is not something that we're supposed to cover and keep to ourselves. It is something that we are supposed to share, let, let radiate into the world around us, Lord. Help us to shine, Lord, with, with, with boldness. 
Help us, Lord, to draw so close to you that truly, daily, our lives are changed. Our very face, Lord, is transformed to look more like your face. Oh, God, change us to be more like you. And the more like you we become, Lord Jesus, I pray, the more of you that the world will see when they look at us. Lord Jesus, some of us as Christians, we live our lives veiled. We hide, we cover up, Lord, your light in us. But I pray, Lord Jesus, with boldness and courage, we would walk out into the world and let it shine. Oh, Lord Jesus, shine through us. We pray in your blazing, holy, beautiful name. Amen.